Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City. Welcome to the third edition of Tapped In, brought to you by the Kansas City Public Network. Here in downtown Kansas City, the heart of Kansas City, in the crossroads at Taps on Main. As usual, good things come in threes. This is our third edition. We will be doing three of these a week, and I'm happy to bring it to you today on a beautiful, actually it's a very ugly uh, April 7th right now. It's really rainy, kind of nasty day out in Kansas City, but it's all right. We probably needed some rain. So there's there's a really heavy storm last night, but I'm sure there was a lot of gardens and vegetation in the area that could have used that. So nothing wrong with that. But uh, I'm going to go and jump right in with some breaking news that actually just happened, uh, news that just broke on uh, on the interwaves and whatnot. Uh, Arizona fired head basketball coach Sean Miller. This was something that was kind of, there was, there was discussions of it. A lot of people wondered if he was on the hot seat, not so much because of the state of the Arizona basketball program in regards to on-court success, but due to a lot of potential violations. The fact that they were right in the crosshairs of the Adidas investigation. And they'd already had uh, an assistant that had been let go, and they'd already there was already been some maneuvering in that athletic department due to these allegations and due to these violations. And today was the the axe dropped on the the head honcho himself, Sean Miller, uh, and he'd been there for since 2009. A former Xavier coach who'd built Xavier up into a power, not a powerhouse, but a consistent presence in the NCAA tournament. And this is uh, that's. It's a big move, and you got to kind of wonder where Arizona goes from here. Uh, this is them obviously trying to wash their hands of this Adidas investigation, and that also makes you wonder about some of the other schools involved with the Adidas investigation, but I'll get to that in just a second. Um, a few potential names. Uh, one name that had been linked because, there's again, there's been rumblings for a while that Sean Miller's time was limited in uh, down in at Arizona, uh, but... Now that the national title game, national title's over, maybe Top Gonzaga assistant Tommy Lloyd, he's been a name thrown out there. There's a few Arizona alum under legendary coach Lute Olson, uh, who played under legendary coach Lute Olson. Damon Stoudemire is the head coach at Pacific. Uh, Josh Pastner is the head coach at Georgia Tech. Miles Simon is an assistant with the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA. So you got a few guys that had some success at Arizona, have had some success as coaches, Pastner in particular. So it makes you wonder. There's a few names out there that Arizona might go to. But regardless, that's that's big news, and this literally just broke within the last 15, 20 minutes. And so finally, one of the major programs that are under the investigate under investigation in this whole big Adidas scandal has actually parted ways with one of their coaches. Having said that, Kansas is another one of those schools that is right in those crosshairs. And I know I've mentioned it uh, on this. I've mentioned it on the Three Miller Lights Deep interview that uh, that Gat had with me, which check that out on KCPN and any of the uh, the different channels that we have for you to watch it, the different avenues. Uh, it was, again, a lot of fun. But I also mentioned that with uh, with Kansas, potentially, that, that the NCAA is kind of, hey, the hammer is just kind of hanging right here, and they're waiting to drop it. And Arizona got ahead of the uh, – ahead of the curve and decided to go ahead and part ways with Miller first. Obviously, Kansas has got, isn't going to do that with Bill Self. Sean Miller is not Bill Self. Sean Miller is not experienced near the success of Bill Self. So 
uh, and Kansas went in the other direction and actually gave self the lifetime contract. But you have to wonder if Arizona knew that some of these, uh, some of the penalties were going to be pretty harsh. And that makes you wonder, given that Kansas, when they got their letter of the of the violations, um, the notice of allegations, if it was it was considered to be the heaviest with the mo- the heaviest letter of all- notice of allegations with the most violations that a school has seen. So you wonder where that what kind of potential punishment KU may be facing as well. Uh, I mean, Bill Self's probably not going anywhere, but who knows. While we're mentioning Kansas, though, nice little segue here. They just introduced former KU alum and a KU grad who uh, was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, went went to KU in the late late nineties, early two thousands, I believe, a two thousand two grad, and so new athletic director after the whole fiasco with Jeff Long and. the AD at Arkansas and then just all this this less mile stuff and I've gone in depth on the tailgate podcast in regards to everything that happened there and it still just cracks me up how how badly Jeff Long just completely fudged up that situation and the press conference he had after they let go they parted ways with less miles and still blows my mind Out, even though clearly had just cause to fire him without anything else. And especially you're going to give Les Miles money when it's clear that he's done something wrong. And yet when you fire David Beatty three years or, or two years earlier, you somehow drum up allegations so you don't have to pay him the $3 million buyout, but you're willing to pay Les Miles to go away, whatever, uh, when you've actually got reason. But anyway... Uh, so new AD Travis Goff, he spent the last nine years at uh, Northwestern as their deputy athletic director, and he's from Dodge City, Kansas. Again, I mentioned he's a KU grad. He went and he got his uh, MBA at Tulane afterwards and spent the next seven years in the Tulane athletic department. This is a guy who, as in recently at Northwestern, was listed by the Sports Business Journal as one of the power players in college sports. And on another uh, published list of next up when it comes to uh, college ads, he was one of the one of the names front and center. So you look at KU. This is a guy. He's clean. He obviously doesn't have anything bad on his track record, like some of the things, some of the bad hires that Jeff Long had had at Arkansas. And he's a KU grad, so you know he's going to be invested in the program, invested in making sure that uh, the the all the different sports programs are able to succeed as much as they can. He's somebody who he's not a power player. He's going to come in and try to meddle with with Bill Self and what what he has going on in the basketball program too much. And who knows? Maybe he's the guy that can go find a great hire for the next football coach. Somebody who might actually be able to turn around the KU football program. I wouldn't be optimistic if I was a KU fan about that because the KU football program is it seems like a dearth right now. It seems like an absolute sinkhole for coaches to come in and try to turn around. I think Beatty had the best success, but Jeff Long had to go and get his guy instead. I mean, Beatty had the three and nine season. It was in 2017. It was clear progress was happening, but it just, uh, yeah, we'll see with with Travis Goff. The, only, the the big question mark on him is he's he's a relative. Uh, he's relatively inexperienced. He's a younger guy. Doesn't you, you don't really there's there's no sparkling 
standout accomplishments on his resume that would resonate with KU fans to like, oh my God, look at what this guy has done. So uh, you'll you'll see. But at the very least, he's, he seems squeaky clean at this point in time. And with all the other things going on in, in college athletics and in, in sports in general, squeaky clean is a good thing. So uh, kudos to KU for jumping on this pretty quickly and going out and getting somebody who uh, again, it's a KU guy, and I think at this point in time, they need they need family. Move them in the right direction. So, we'll see how that works out. Uh, also, locally, we got the Royals back on tap today, and uh, we are tapped in with the Royals, and they're not having to play in this uh, ugly rainy day here in Kansas City. They are in Cleveland. Actually, they are playing right now. Of course, by the time that you actually see this, they won't be playing, but, you know, yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're in the bottom middle of the second, still a zero-zero ball game at this point in time as we record. Uh, but yeah, the Royals still three and one, first place in the AL Central. I don't care if we're not even a week into the season. Royals are three and one. I'm digging it. Bats are still crushing it, particularly some guy named Whit Merrifield. My goodness, 500, three home runs, nine ribbies, absolutely crushing it. And the bottom third of the lineup is what's been carrying the lineup in addition to Whit Merrifield. You're not seeing the two, Andrew Benintendi, really carrying his weight yet. Again, we're only four games in, so it's it's nothing to really start to sweat about yet. Uh, but the bottom third, Kyle Isbell, Michael A. Taylor, Nicky Lopez, are batting a combined 409, and they have 10 ribbies between them. Yeah, six of those are Michael A. Taylors, but still. Uh, so just very encouraging. Traditionally, the bottom third of the lineup is always where we see just – that's where rallies, that's where big innings go to die is when the bottom third would come up. And it's very encouraging. Yes, still a very, very, very young season, but very encouraging to see that the Royals' bottom third of the lineup is just going bananas right now. It's, it's a bonanza out there. And so it's a tough matchup for the Royals today anyway. Shane Bieber, defending Cy Young winner. I don't care if it was a shortened, se shortened 2020 season. He still brought it. And this is a guy who's only been in the majors with with Cleveland for I think this is his third or third full se third or fourth full season, and the, he was an All Star in 2019 over the course of a full season. Then he won the Cy Young last year, so this is a, he's a special pitcher. And Cleveland just continues to manufacture stud starting pitching, and you know they don't even have the likes of a Corey Kluber or a Carlos Carrasco anymore, but they still manage to f develop aces and. That's something that it sucks being in the same division as them and constantly watching them do that. But that's uh, it is what it is, and we're gonna have we, we're gonna have to continue to deal with Shane Bieber. We're gonna continue to have to try to give him his comeuppance and and find ways to to beat him if we're gonna want to contend in the AL Central. And today we're bringing Jacob Judas on the mound, who Royals fans obviously we've been watching him over the last few years. He is coming out of the bullpen to start this season. He's getting the start today due to them pushing Brad Keller's start until tomorrow. And uh, just to give Keller another day after his opening day struggles, seemingly. I mean, they still haven't really given a full explanation why. But uh, Jacob Junis was also somebody who was imagined to be in the running for that fifth spot in the rotation once they actually start going on a solid five-starter rotation. And... Junis is a guy who he looks like he could be an absolutely stud reliever. I mean, especially he's added a cutter that he really is, he's worked on. Complement what is already one of the best sliders in baseball. 
And if he can master that and really get going, maybe he does earn not just as a, as a role as the fifth starter. I mean, he could finally – he could start to really fulfill some of the promise. I mean, we've seen some outstanding starts from Jacob Junis over the course of his career with the Royals, and maybe this cutter is what takes him to that next level. And in an era where the, the Royals are looking at – Obviously, Brady Singer's already in the rotation, but they're looking at a future with Chris Bubich and Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey and Jackson Kowar and Austin Cox and other pitchers that that the Royals just have this bevy of <clears throat> down in the minors. Maybe this cutter is what allows Jacob Junis to say, hey, I'm a part of this future too. And so that's it. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes today. And if he has a solid start today, he definitely earns another opportunity, another start. So... Uh, obviously going to be rooting for Jacob Junis there, but, you know, go Royals. We'll see how that goes and uh, see if they can keep on winning. You know, you've got um, Adalberto Mondesi is uh, still on the injured list and he will be for another few days, but the Royals can be six and four, seven and three or something like that. By the time he, his teams are up, I mean, man, wouldn't that be out outstanding? And then, if if Modesty could come in and just be another another boon to that lineup, that's a lot of a lot of things to be excited about. I mean, it's it's always spring hopes eternal, but the Royals just coming out the way they have this season is beyond encouraging. I mean, it's extremely. As I said on our uh, Monday edition of Tapped In, I do apologize for our loss on Sunday. You can put that on me and my buddy Ponch for having gone to the game after what Cleveland on on uh, Monday. It's you know what maybe it was us. Am I saying that we're not going to go to any more games? No, we're definitely going to go to more games. But if they lose a second one, I might then take a hiatus. So we'll see. But yeah, uh, go Royals today. Uh, here's a little bit. We've got some more exciting uh, sports events happening this year. Uh, I'm sorry, happening this week. Masters. The Masters kick are, are getting ready to kick off here. You've already got a lot of the golfers down there. Bryce and DeChambeau is trying to just drive the entire way through the 18 holes without having to do any putting or any short game. I mean, that guy's just – he's, he's an, just a bomber out there. And he tried it last November. Obviously, last year it was a weird <clears throat> November Masters because of the pandemic having pushed everything back. And so we didn't have the traditional – Jim Nance welcome in April of hello friends that we all love to hear uh, with anything that Jim Nance does for CBS. Uh, but it was, it was a November masters. It was really weird. It was won by Dustin Johnson, long time coming for him to finally get a, get a green jacket. And here we are only five months later and we're back to a somewhat state of normalcy, but in this case, the normalcy of having the masters in April. And so everybody gets to go down to Augusta National and just take part on those beautiful greens that they take care of down there and down in Georgia. And we'll see what happens. DJ is a nine to one favorite to defend to uh, <clears throat> excuse me to defend his championship and to reclaim the mass to win a second in a row. Uh, you got a lot of other odds on guys. Ten to one for Justin Thomas. I mean, he just recently won the Players Championship, so he's pretty red hot. John Rahm, the German, is a twelve to one favorite. Bryson DeChambeau, eleven to one. And again, it's just because he said he's going to come in with the same approach that he had last uh, last November and just try to absolutely drive the living hell out of the ball. And just hey, you know what? If I have shorter distance on on my second. Uh, my second shot and on, 
you know, that gives me an advantage over everybody else. Of course, he has to have the short game to match, but we'll, that, uh, that's something to watch for. 14-1 uh, odds, Rory McIlroy, who just – he's been around for a decade now, man. I mean, this guy this guy's just – he's always right there in the thick of things. 25-1 uh, odds for Brooks Kepka, but that comes with a very, very big caveat of he recently had an accident – in which he dislocated his right kneecap in early March and had suffered ligament damage as well. He had surgery on March 16th, obviously still recovering. We're not even a month into that. He's only a few weeks past that. And from what, from what I understand is he can't even bend right. He said it's going to be really funny to watch him bend over, pick up the golf ball uh, during, the, during the course of this tournament. His game feels fine, as he says. That's quote-unquote, feels fine. But everybody pretty much knows and what his coaches have said and, and his trainers and people working with him is it's obviously he's going, because of this knee issue, he's going to have obvious problems walking the course. And so a lot of his colleagues, a lot of his opponents are figuring that this weekend. And that's, that's unfortunate because Kepka is a guy who he's been an absolute stud for the sport the last few years and somebody who a lot of the a lot of the betters always like to pick up near the front but uh, that's a bummer obviously wish him the best moving forward and it'd be an amazing story if he were to make a run at the masters or something that'd be a hell of an inspirational moment but uh, odds are against it uh but he's still listed at 25 to 1 so we'll see if that changes but patrick cantlay 21 odds 20 to 1 odds xander shefeli 22 to 1 uh, you got Colin Morikawa, Patrick Reed, Lee Westwood all at 30 to 1, Tony Finau, Victor Hovland, Daniel Berger all at 33 to 1 odds, and then a few other names that people know about. Uh, Jason Day and Sergio Garcia are both 45 to 1. Bubba, Bubba Watson, former winner. Everybody remembers that crazy shot that he hit out of uh, behind some trees and just wrapped it around the trees, even though he couldn't even couldn't even see where the pin was uh the years ago when he won his masters he is 50 to 1 odds favorite and uh, not favorite but and uh webb simpson is 35 to 1 which is a little bit interesting considering that he's placed in the top 10 in the last two masters and so he's somebody who he's clearly had success at augusta national maybe it's his time to finally actually take that next step and go and grab that green jacket and so 35 to 1 odds seems a little low for him but somebody else who's right there who is who's jumped up in the odds. He went from 50 to 1 to 10 to 1 odds over oh, just here recently and that is 2015 Masters champion Jordan Spieth who he just won the Texas Open this last weekend. It was his first tour win in 4 years. But he has had out of the last 7 tournaments that he has participated in, he has had 6 top 15 finishes. And so Spieth has been, he's, he's been in a tremendous, he had been in a tremendous slump. And this is a guy who we, in 2015, when he won the Masters, he was looked at as the next up and coming superstar. The guy who might be able to take the mantle from Tiger Woods. And right there with Roy McIlroy as the two young stars to move forward for the PGA Tour. And he still has had his moments, but he just, he slipped. He just, he, he struggled to regain uh, recapture the same form that he had in the 2015 Masters, then it seems like maybe he's got it. Maybe he's got it back now. He's a little bit older, and he just you can say he's a little bit more seasoned. 
but maybe maybe this is his moment and so he jumped up from 50 to 1 to 10 50 to 1 odds to 10 to 1 odds and so he's right there behind dj and along with justin thomas for among the favorites to win this masters this year so a lot of excitement down there in augusta always fun to watch the masters i'll never forget two years ago when tiger finally came back and completed that comeback and got his first uh his his first uh major win in a decade and the emotional moment he had with the son after he did it and it was and getting that green jacket that was that was, there's nothing like master sunday when it's something close especially when it's some golfers that you're invested in and it's something where no matter no matter what you think of what tiger woods has done he draws people he is a magnetizing presence and it's a shame that he won't be there this year and obviously the recent accident that he had is a cloud over all of this and speaking of that news did break here just recently today uh just a little bit ago that the cause of his accident has been revealed by the sheriff's office uh out there in cal in the city in california where it happened and they're saying that it was speed he was going too fast uh, the report says he was going 83 miles an hour in a 45 mile power per hour zone and that is what caused the crash. He just lost control, spun out. And I mean, people have probably seen, most of you have probably seen footage of the, the aftermath of that car wreck. And it's, it wasn't pretty and, and have heard reports of the surgeries and, and everything he's had to go through. And he is home. He's no longer in the hospital. He's home in Jupiter, Florida, and he's got a rehabilitation plan set forth. And he wants to go back on tour. That's what he's. It, there's people close to him. Sources have said that he has said he's not just indicated. He has straight up said is he has every intention of going back on tour again. And so there is that cloud hanging over Augusta of Tiger not being there and everybody hoping that Tiger is going to be okay. And I know Rory McIlroy is one who has already visited with Tiger and and came out saying that he's optimistic and he's feeling good. And so we want to talk about you know great stories. That would be an, a a finale. I'm not going to lie. I can't really see it playing out, but Tiger Woods is somebody that's really hard to bet against. And that would be a phenomenal story. If a year from now we're talking about the masters and if we're going into the Sunday and by some miracle, Tiger Woods is right there in the thick of things for another green jacket. I mean, I know this might just be a pipe dream and it's, it's probably unlikely at this point, but you know what? If, if sports is all about the unlikely moments actually happening, and that's that's one of the beautiful things about sports and that's something that anybody who's not even that invested in sports like i am and, and and the rest of us are in the tailgate podcast and so many of us here at kcpn but it's it's those magical moments that really really drive you just keep you invested and has made made sports the special masterpiece that it is and Unlikely events, we just witnessed one, Baylor. And I'll, I'll get to that in itself. Baylor just absolutely wiping, waxing the court with Gonzaga. But I want to touch on that first, and I'm going to get into what's really the heart of this tapped in episode today. And that is what Baylor had to get, had to go through to get to this point. And it was, it's nothing short of remarkable. What happened at Baylor in the early 2000s is a horror story and it is bad on humanity it is bad on athletic departments bad on teammates it was just a failure on numerous counts 
and I'll go ahead and dive in right now. A lot of people around here have just looked at Scott Drew as, as you know, he's the Baylor head coach. He's another Big 12 head coach, and Baylor's had their years where they've risen up and, and made a run at KU, and this last year was the first time that they, act, they actually got over that hump and, and became the first Big 12 team to do things uh, such as, as you know, win the regular season title. Well, not the first, but the, the second. Uh, and, <clears throat> and win a national championship. Uh, in the Big 12. But what Scott Drew walked into 18 years ago at Baylor down in Waco, Texas, was, again, it was a nightmare. So 2003, a new play, a, a player, a junior forward, had just transferred into the Baylor basketball program by the name of Patrick Dennehy. And before he'd even taken the court, there was concern over – he, he and a teammate were expressing concern during that summer – of for for honestly for their own well-being so you reach a point in june of 2003 where denny's family had not heard from him and somebody a teammate uh, his roommate went and saw that his dog hadn't been fed and so the police were contacted it was obvious that he was missing um a lot of concern his car was found on june 25th uh, with the plates removed in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And in an affidavit that was put out, a that was put out for a search warrant for Dennehy's computer, in this affidavit, there is an informant that was in Delaware that told police that Baylor teammate Carlton Dodson had told a cousin of his in Maryland that he had murdered Dennehy that he had murdered Patrick Dennehy, Carlton Dotson, one of his Baylor teammates. So on July 21st, Dotson is charged. July 26th, a decom the decomposing body of Patrick Dennehy is, is discovered. Nightmare situation for any college pro, for any, any just in, in general, that's a nightmare situation in life. But this is obviously, this is something that that is massive red flags for a new teammate at Baylor. What's the basketball program? I mean, that's these these are things that. And so news starts to come out that Dave Bliss had been paying the tuition for Patrick Dennehy. The Dave Bliss was the Baylor head coach at the time. Uh, and he'd been paying Patrick Dennehy's tuition. Not anything to do with, with Dennehy not being able to make the team. It's because Dennehy didn't technically have a scholarship because Baylor was over the limit for scholarships. And so Dennehy was moving forward. as Again, he transferred from New Mexico. He was moving forward under the assumption that he was on scholarship, not realizing that Dennehy was paying his, or that uh, Bliss was paying his tuition. Bliss was also paying the tuition for another player, Corey Herring. So after this murder happened and NCAA violations started to come, NCAA was, had, was doing an investigation into violations against Baylor under Dave Bliss uh, in regards to paying players in regards to the tuition. And Dennehy claimed that, I'm sorry, Bliss claimed that Dennehy was paying his tuition, that it wasn't him that was paying Dennehy's tuition, but that Dennehy was paying his tuition by being a drug dealer. And that it was 
a drug deal gone bad that had led to his murder. And Dave Bliss, as this investigation was going on, had even flown to New York City to convince Corey Herring's mother to lie to NCAA investigators. Dave Bliss had also had uh, prior violations when he was at SMU uh, as their basketball coach in the 80s. And he'd had other violations already at Baylor, and he'd only been there since 1999. We're talking four years, and he'd already had other violations uh, that were being investigated. And then his, his violations at SMU that also had to do with with uh, tuition and, and, and player benefits and things like that. And this is, of course, when SMU was already dealing with the death penalty and with their football program when their football program had so many violations that they were forced to shut down, as in no football, for two years. And this is the basketball coach that was at SMU in the aftermath of that. And here he is now at Baylor dealing, and you're starting to see a lot of, a lot of institutional problems at Baylor as well. So on August 8th, Dave Bliss is forced to resign in, in under fire of everything that's going on. The athletic director at Baylor, Tom Stanton, resigns at the same time. And Baylor puts themselves, they self-impose a two-year probation. They withdraw from the Big 12 tournament for, that up, for the upcoming 03-04 season. Uh, you know, no postseason whatsoever for us. And then the NCAA comes in and hands down their punishments and they find all the violations they find they find that Dave Bliss was paying tuition they find that the staff was providing lodging clothing meals transportation for players and uh, which are all violations uh, whether or not you think it's legal or not or think it should be allowed or not that's not the point here the point is it was breaking the rules at the time and it was in addition to numerous other rules that were being broken he encouraged boosters to donate to a foundation that was designed just for potential incoming recruits. Very illegal as well. Failure to report positive drug tests by his players. That's obviously a huge one. Your players are testing positive for who knows what, and you're not reporting those to the school. You're not reporting those to the NCAA. And ultimately, all that led to the highest violation, a failure to exercise institutional control. So under this, their probation that they'd originally been under, this two-year probation, was extended to the summer of 2010. That's insane. You're thinking that's seven years out. Their probation was extended to seven years. They were punished with no non-conference games for the 2005-2006 season. That's the first time that a penalty had been handed out where literally you're not allowed to play half your season. You have to, they, Baylor in 05-06 had to wait until Big 12 conference season started to be able to play. They had reduced recruiting visits from nine to six, and they were given, I'm sorry, not they, Dave Bliss was given a 10-year show cause penalty by the NCAA. Basically, he's untouchable for 10 years, and it's quoted as despicable behavior and unethical conduct. 10 years is the most severe penalty that the NCAA can hand a coach. And when you look at how many other, how many other programs have gotten in trouble for violations and how rarely the coach actually ends up getting in trouble at all, you think of John Calipari in particular, a 10-year show-cause penalty. And it wasn't just Bliss. Two of his top assistants, Doug Ash, five-year show-cause penalty. Rodney Belcher, seven-year show-cause penalty. 
So the NCAA, this was, I mean, again, when you when you're, you don't just randomly throw around words despicable behavior or unethical conduct. This was evidence that what was going on at Baylor was horrendous. It was just morally despicable. I mean, I, I hate to hate to recycle a word here, but that's what it is. It's not, it's just these, these are, it's terrible, just horrifying things. Like it's gut wrenching when you think about, especially trying to blame a kid who just got murdered and say that he was it's tr trying to lie for cover your own tracks and say that he was, he, he was drug dealing in order to pay his tuition just to cover up the fact that you were paying his tuition. A dead kid. I just, I can't wrap my head around a coach that would think that that was okay. And so from there, Baylor, because of all this, they were eligible for the death penalty to become the first major program to get the death penalty since the SMU football program had uh, almost 20 years earlier. And it was due to, and you're, if you're eligible for the death penalty, if that's the second major violation over the course of five years, even if it's across different sports. And this was because apparently at Baylor, the men's tennis, pro, men's tennis team had had a major violations. And so that was the first major violation that against the Baylor Athletic Department. And so here comes Dave Bliss just as a freaking wrecking ball at Baylor. And damn near got Baylor basketball put on the death. Damn near gave them the death penalty. But because of their prompt action and their self-imposed sanctions and whatnot, they were praised by the NCAA from that, for that. And so they were spared the death penalty. So that's, that's all what this mess was at Baylor. It was absolutely disgusting. It was a terrible situation for any coach to walk into. And who walks into this? Scott Drew. Scott Drew, two weeks after Bliss resigns, Scott Drew is hired, has a press conference, talks about what he wants to do at Baylor. And it was rough sledding. It was, it was terrible. And it was really a struggle for Scott Drew. And he went through some seasons where you see a lot of schools nowadays would be like, yeah, this isn't good enough. You have to go. Scott Drew understood that he was going to have to go through the nastiest of storms before he was going to be, he was going to have to do the equivalent of what Andy Dufresne does in the Shawshank Redemption. He was going to have to crawl through 500 yards of shit to come out clean on the other side for things that he never even did. And Scott Drew did that. From the 03 to 07 seasons, Baylor only won 36 games. And that includes, obviously, the 05, 06, not when they didn't get to play any non-con games. But they only won 13 Big 12 games in that time. They were a laughing stock in the Big 12. But that was because a lot of people didn't, you know, a lot of, a lot of people didn't consider the fact of what they were going through and what Scott Drew was trying to work through. But Scott Drew stayed determined and he worked the recruiting trail and he decided to employ a system that was relatively fresh in the NCAA, especially at the major level. And he went guard heavy. And so by bringing in players like they had Tweedy Carter, they had Aaron Bruce, they had Curtis Geralds. These are some names that I know some of my friends, K-State friends, and I know some KU guys, some KU uh, fans will also remember. Uh, Lace Darius Dunn, Quincy AC, Ipe Udo. And through some of those names, particularly as Aaron Bruce, Tweedy Carter, and Curtis Geralds at first, they made the NCAA tournament in 2008, finally broke through, started having some success. 
and then with the, with guys like Lace Darius Dunn leading the way, he was their big recruit that they that they brought in. He was a stud from day one. I remember cursing that guy's name on multiple occasions as a K Stater. They went to the Elite Eight in both 2010 and 2012. They went and got a five-star, biggest recruit in Baylor history, Perry Jones III. He didn't pan out the way that they hoped he would, and he actually got suspended for some games. He had some injury woes as well. But you're seeing them go and get big, not big top five-star, big blue-chip recruits. And then they they had some lulls. They had some some struggles over the last decade. But then you see they he – He's already taken them some un, unseen heights for Baylor, and frankly, un, frankly, unprecedented given that the depths that he had, he walked into in Waco in the first place, and then not this past season, but the season before, in what was ultimately affected by COVID, the 19, 2019 to twenty twenty season, Drew led Baylor to their greatest record in school history, a twenty six and four record. Unfortunately, they were unable. They were going to be a number one seed, most likely, in the tournament. But unfortunately, because of COVID nineteen, uh, the in March Madness was canceled, as we all know, and we've we've talked at length about. But still, that was the beginning. And so then they came into this year, returning a bunch of those players. I mean, we've seen, you know, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell. They had some real strong players on this team when picked up in the transfer market. Misio Teague. And then they won the Big 12 title outright this year. You look at two years ago when it was when KU streak ended of conference of consecutive conference championships, and it was Kansas State and Texas Tech that won won a split title. Baylor outright won it this year, and in dominating fashion. Baylor was pretty much consistently the number two team. They were they slipped down to number three for a week or two, then jumped right back up to number two after Michigan suffered a couple losses, and. Again, I mean, we saw this national championship on Monday night, and I talked about this exciting matchup on, on Monday's tapped in. But, man, I did not expect Baylor to absolutely blitz Gonzaga the way that they did. Holy cow. Just from the word go, annihilated Mark Few's crew. That was not, that wasn't that was a silly rhyming thing, but eh, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, Butler and Mitchell just – they couldn't miss. They were just hitting threes. Anytime Gonzaga seemed like they were starting to make a little bit of a comeback, all of a sudden, boom, boom, two threes, and it's back to a 16, 17-point lead or something again and just completely cut off any momentum that Gonzaga had. And so, and this had been Baylor's first Final Four since 1950, 71 years. And so when you look at all of that, and they finally, they've got their championship. Scott Drew has taken Baylor, and he has ascended to the top of the mountain. He is a national champion. He is the only coach in the Big 12 that can call himself a national champion in the Big 12 other than Bill Self. And that is an enormous accomplishment. In, in an era when KU has absolutely run roughshod over the Big 12, Scott Drew is right there with Bill Self. Does he have all the wins? Does he have all the conference championships? No. But he's got that national championship. And for my money, what Baylor did, what he did at Baylor to write to – ascend that program to the heights that he has is the most impressive college coach college basketball coaching accomplishment in history what he has done yes you're going to talk he's he's not going to have the accolades he's not going to have the uh the accomplishments he's not going to have the wins the conference championships of so many other coaches but none of these other coaches had to walk into a situation like he walked into to a, to a team that was literally on the verge of the death penalty and raise them up the way that he has. And so Scott Drew, 
all the accolades in the world. I mentioned it on the tailgate podcast. I have had the privilege of getting to shake this man's hand and it was, it was cool. I mean, even in the moment when I'm giving him a praise for what he's done at Baylor, he turns around and says, well, what you've got going here at Kansas state is pretty special as well. And, and again, it was with Frank Martin and man, boy, was he ever right. But, um, but no, he's an outstanding person and it takes a lot of determination and drive to be able to do what he did and a lot of willpower and he did it. And, Again, for my money, I don't think there is a more impressive accomplishment than any coach has ever achieved in college basketball. So congratulations to Baylor. Congratulations to Scott Drew. Outstanding. Like, just this is an inspiring story, and I don't think enough people understand what he walked into. And as a K-Stater, I'm just happy, part of me is just happy to see that another team other than KU won a national championship in the Big 12. But... It's the fact that it's Baylor and Scott Drew, I, I couldn't be more thrilled about. So if it wasn't K-State, I'd rather it be them. But anyway, uh, this has been another edition of Tapped In. I know I got really in-depth on some stuff there, but we're going to do that sometimes. And we're, gonna, we're not always going to talk about sports. WrestleMania is this weekend. So next Monday, we'll have some, some mania talk to have, some wrestling. But uh, anyway, thank you for tuning in to Tapped In. This has been Duncan Kaminsky. I appreciate you checking us out. We've got another edition coming up Friday, and uh, y'all stay tuned, and go Royals!